Well, good morning. That is a wonderful way to start this week, isn't it, in a time of worship? Can we just give a hand to those that sacrificed to come up here and to worship and praise the Lord and bring us into His presence this morning? I tell you, what I really enjoyed was watching as I glanced up there a moment ago on stage, and, and there were several of our musicians that weren't even playing their instruments. Their hands were lifted high to heaven. And you know, that's really what it's all about, because we don't come here to perform. We serve an audience of one, Right? And as long as he is happy, that's all that matters. I want to welcome all of you that are with us in person, as well as those who are online. If you're new around here, we'd love to get to know you. We have a Connect card that's in the uh, lobby there. You can fill out right there digitally. There's one on your website you can click on. And let us know that you're watching. Let us know where you're from. And we have a free gift for you that we would love to bless you with here at the beginning of this brand new year. I know that last week was the the first uh, Sunday of the year, but this is the time that we are going to really dive into the vision and the theme of our year. As you can look around the room, you can look over here on the wall, you can look over here and you can see the different words for the year. And this year is more than just a word. We are going with an entire theme. 2022 is going to be the year of the good news. Somebody say the good news. I know there's a lot of bad news out there. I know that it's difficult to find good news. In fact, good news really doesn't sell like bad news sells. There's clickbait all all the time of a bad news story that people try to get you to click on, and advertisers are trying to always insert that hook so that you read a little further to find out the tragedy or the turmoil or the disruption that has happened in somebody else's life or around the world. And and quite frankly, we were never made to know all of the, the things that happen in the world. We were never made for the kind of content and data that's being downloaded all of the time in our 24-hour news cycle. And so this year, New Freedom Church is going to focus on the good news. And if you've been around here any time at all, you know that the good news is a word we call gospel. Actually, the Bible calls it the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we get into the message today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 1. That's where we're going to be beginning Uh, But I do want to just uh, reinsert that we are starting today our 21 days of prayer, and we also have, for your convenience, at the end of service, we have your 555, which is the reading plan through the New Testament. If you will take five days a week and just spend five minutes for those five days, then together as a corporate body, we will read through all 260 chapters of the New Testament. I think that's a worthy goal for the new year, don't you? To read through the New Testament together. We're starting in Mark. Mark declares itself to be the good news of Jesus Christ. And and, and when we introduce Jesus as the Savior, it's really just the introduction, the first act in God's redemption plan. It's really just a a precursor of all of the things that are about to take place in this very fast-paced book that we call the Gospel of Mark. If you look at Mark as a a deliverance book or as a book of coming out of something, you have to hearken back to the basis of the Christian faith, which is the Jewish faith. And and understanding the Old Testament as a basis is going to be so important for where we go here the next 12 months. And I'm going to take every uh, uh, four of the Gospels and I'm going to go through them, not specifically every chapter and verse, but uh, hit some highlights and hit some things in there. And, And you're going to find that many times... We're going to hearken back to the Old Testament prophets, the law. We're going to hearken back to the Proverbs, to the Psalms, to uh, the, the book of Genesis. And so, so many things were built as a foundation to how we get right here where we are. And so, this Jesus as deliverer is act one of this drama that is being played out of the kingdom 
of God. Life in the kingdom of God is what the Gospels are all about. There are tastes and glimpses of the kingdom of God that we have available to us right now in this day. And then there are also opportunities and things that we long for and we look for for tomorrow. There are four gospel writers, four good news writers, and you could look at these as biographies of the life of the greatest person who ever lived. These are biographies primarily of Jesus, but they're more than just history books. They're more than just simply giving you factual data. These four eyewitness accounts are given to us as instruction of how that we can participate with God here and now in living a life that is not only honoring to God, but actually is beneficial to us. Yeah, that's right. There's nothing wrong with having a life that's beneficial to you in the here and now. God is all about blessings and God wants us to be blessed. The reason, primary reason that God wants you to be blessed is because he wants you to be a blessing to others. You can see this in the primary calling of Abraham, the Old Testament. God said, I have called you out of your land and I have given you a heritage, a posterity, a family, so that through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God is about blessing his people. Can I get an amen? And God wants you to be a reservoir of blessing, but not just a containing spot. He wants you to burst open your life. And it may be in this brand new year that you burst open into a place of being a blessing and a source of life for others. And that's what it's all about, being in the kingdom of God in our here and now. We also need to keep an eye focused on the future and the kingdom of God that is arriving. And what you're going to hear a lot in these next several weeks is the already kingdom and the not yet kingdom. Something was started, but it's not yet consummated. It's still in process. It's still in play. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. As my custom is, I'm going to read out of the New King James Version, but then we're going to go somewhere else after that. It says this in Mark 1. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Pretty clear, right? This is about Jesus. This isn't about miracles. This isn't about healings. This isn't about demons being delivered. You're going to find all of that in the book. But what this book is primarily about, this book is about the good news of Jesus, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Verse four, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So what was John's primary message? It was a message of repentance for sins, and he baptized those who said, yes, I want to turn from my sin. The word repent means to turn. It means I'm walking in this direction. When I repent, I turn and I go in another direction. It actually has a connotation of changing not just our feet direction, but the way we're thinking. Metanoia, repentance, is is to change our thinking, the way that we are looking through the lens of our life. And I can't think of any better time than a new year to take on this goal, this, this high calling of changing the direction of some of my thoughts. And so that was the the primary message that John came baptizing and preaching repentance. Verse five, then all the land of Judea and those who, uh, those from Jerusalem went out to him uh, and were all baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. John is a fascinating character, isn't he? I mean, this guy ate locusts and wild honey. 
Now the honey part I can get, but the locust, I, unless it's dipped in chocolate, I don't think I'm interested in locusts. And it says that he wore camel's hair and a leather belt. What's this all about? Well, these are, are verses that are, are describing someone, a character, a primary character, and it harkens back to the prophet Elijah. If you think about the Old Testament prophet of Elijah, uh, there was something about him that was very unique, very different. He had a message that nobody wanted to hear, and yet he didn't even want to give it himself. But reluctantly, he proclaimed to God's people that they had to turn around, that they had to repent, that they had to come back to God. And so he is like this second Elijah. He is Elijah that has come to prepare the way for Jesus. And this, this garment, this garb that he talks about is actually a, a reckoning back to Elijah of old. Let's continue. It says, and he preached saying, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say Holy Spirit. So we're talking about two baptisms here when we get into the book of Mark and all through the gospels, we're going to see these baptisms running parallel to each other. New King James Version is what I just read out of. Now, I had someone reach out to me this week, and they're going through their Bible study plan. And I always love that when someone reaches out and says, hey, pastor, I'm, I'm on this, I'm day three into this, and I'm cheering them on. I'm saying, keep on going. You can do it. And they said, which version of the Bible, which translation do you read out of? And I said, yes, <laughs> because I like all of them. I mean, I, mean I, I find some value and some merit in just about any translation. Find one that works well for you. If you want to sit down and we can talk about the different uh, pros and cons, the different translations, that's all fine and good. But unless you read Greek, you will not read the original languages. You understand that. There are translations from the Greek in the New Testament, Hebrew in the Old Testament. And so we have to rely on how someone is translating it to us. And if you're going to stay into a, a Bible reading plan, what I would encourage you to do is to find a translation that is, is easy for you to read, that is, is uh, paced with your uh, maybe interest level, that is something that uh, you can make it a page turner. You know, the Bible is, is so better than any novel that's ever been written. You, you get these, these books sometimes who are readers and they say, boy, that's a really a, a good page turner. Well, this book is a good page turner. It will keep your focus. And someone said, I read the Bible, it's just boring. Well, maybe you need another translation. So here's one of my favorite go-to easy to read translations. It's called the message translation. Let's read this same passage of scripture, these eight verses in the message. It says this, the good news of Jesus Christ, the message begins here, following to the letter, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Do you see already how that it just kind of encapsulated what I had to tell you about the new King James? It just told it for you. Look here, watch closely. I'm sending my preacher ahead of you. He'll make the road smooth for you. Thunder in the desert, prepare for God's arrival. Make the road smooth and straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wild preaching a baptism of life change. Now the New King James says repentance. It's not bad, that's, that's correct, it's not incorrect. But life change is something that we can quantify a little bit deeper in our 21st modern mindset and thinking that leads to forgiveness of sins. People thronged to him from Judea and Jerusalem, and, they, and as they confessed their sins, were baptized by him in the Jordan River into a changed life. There was something that resulted from their baptism. There was a change in their life. John wore a camel hair habit tied with, around his waist with a leather belt. He ate locust 
and wild field honey. As he preached, he said, the real action comes next. The star of this drama to whom I'm just a mere stagehand will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. His baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, will change you from the inside out. Now, let's break that down a minute. That, to me, is clarifying. That, to me, says, okay, I want in on the action that John is talking about. I am now fascinated. I am hooked. I want this good news message. How then can I also experience this kind of life change? How can, through my repentance and my admission that I can't fix my life on my own, how can I start seeing and experiencing this kind of real life change? Well, there are stages in this. There are some some things that happen, the first step, then the next step. And here's what John said, and this, this I like about this translation. He said, I am just a mere stagehand. Mere is only. I'm only a stagehand to the one that is coming after me. He's saying and prophesying, John uh, the Baptist was a prophet of God. He's prophesying about the one who's to come next, and that is Jesus. He was preparing the way, and this was prophesied of old, that one would come like Elijah, the second Elijah, you could say, and he would prepare the way for Jesus. But here's what he says about himself. I'm a mere stagehand. I'm secondary. I'm I'm actually not even secondary. I'm not even worthy of leaning down and taking the strap off of Jesus' sandal. That's how insignificant my life is compared to his life. Now, that's fascinating because... When you look at the words of Jesus just a little bit later, you know what he says about John the Baptist? Jesus declares that no one has lived ever born that has been greater in the kingdom of God than John the Baptist. Wow. So Jesus is giving this endorsement of this man who himself recognizes and realizes that he really is just a stagehand. Now, I like how C.S. Lewis talked about humility. C.S. Lewis, one of the the great authors of the the 20th century, he said that that humility is not thinking less about yourself. It's not deprecating and and thinking uh, uh, that, that you're no good, but it's about thinking about yourself less. That's humility. John the Baptist didn't have a negative mindset about himself, but what he's saying was, I must decrease, but he must increase. And is that our prayer today? Is that our desire that less of me, Lord, and more of you? That was the prayer of John the Baptist. And so when he says, I'm a mere stagehand, a stagehand, I had to look it up. What is a stagehand? I think I know what a stagehand is. You probably think you know, but it is a person working behind the scenes. Get this, a setup person. Somebody say setup. It was just a setup. You being here today was just a setup. God has ordered your steps. He has has marched out your path. He has made your road smooth and your path straight to be here, to listen to us online. It's just simply a setup for the one who wants to do the life change, not just a repentance of our sin to say, yeah, I did some bad things because John said how I'm baptizing you in this river, you can repent of your sins and you can try harder. And you're going to stumble and you're going to fail. And if all you ever do is say, yeah, I admit I was wrong and you repent, that's a good first step, but it's not sustaining. 
That doesn't help you to go to the next level of spirituality because what he said it happens is this. You try, you try, you fail, you get discouraged and you stop. Anybody ever been there? Don't raise your hand, but just nudge your neighbor and say, I've been there. I've tried on my own effort. I've tried to do it my way and I have failed. But here's what John said. More than just trying on your own effort. That's good that you admit you can't do it. That, that's humility. But he said, the one who comes after me is going to baptize you not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. Now there's something different. And he talked about the change of life from the inside out. See how the message tells us that? John is basically saying, listen, when you go down into this water, I can baptize you and outwardly it looks like you did a religious act. But inwardly, when Jesus baptizes us with the spirit, when he plunges us in the, the spiritual water, then on the inside, we are transformed and there is a change that begins to take place. Now, here's the interesting thing. The change that starts on the inside is not immediately recognizable on the out. Hear me. When you truly repent of your sin, when you come to the place, you say, God, I know I can't fix this on my own. And you receive the grace of God's Holy Spirit to elicit the change, not just you trying harder. I'm not saying you shouldn't try, but if you only try in your own effort, you can't do it. And he said this, Jesus, the one that comes after me, will baptize you in the spirit. And that is the inner transformation. That is the change that will take root. And from the inside out, you will be changed. And over time, what will happen is on the outside, you will start to look different, talk different, walk different. You'll make different choices. You'll have different appetites. There'll be things that now... You, appeal to you that no, no longer used to appeal to you. And now you're wondering, how is this happening? Immediately, you don't see the outward change of an inward life heart, but over time, you will see that. And so being a mere stagehand is recognizing our place in the pecking order of this kingdom. It is a disciple of Jesus. What is a disciple? It is a disciplined one. We're going to look here in just a minute about the calling of some disciples, of the 12 disciples. And a disciple is nothing more than a follower of Christ. I'm looking today at lots of disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. A disciple is also an understudy, an apprentice. It is one who is mimicking for a while. They may, they may just use it as a role model to see what the teacher and the master is doing. So John the Baptist knew his position, he knew his role. My question is this, do we know our place in the kingdom? Do you know your role? Do you know what you are commissioned and called to do? What you can only contribute that nobody else can contribute to the kingdom. There are gifts and talents and callings that are on your life that nobody else has. And if you just sit silent, if you just sit in the background, if you never join a small group and you never serve on a team and you never do anything more than just try to live better for Jesus, if you just try by your own effort, you're never going to tap that inward potential that God has calling on the inside of you. There is always going to be this lack of satisfaction in your life until you fully and completely surrender to the Lord. You can use your talent. The Bible tells us this, that the callings of God, the gifts and the talents and the callings of God are irrevocable. There are people using talents in the world and for the, the glory of their own name and recognition, and yet they might have fame and wealth and money and status, and they pillow their head at night and they can't sleep because they're not satisfied. Why? Because they're not 
fulfilling the call of God in their lives. I did a wedding about six years ago for a young couple. And I had known that this girl grew up in our church and, and she met this, this great young guy. And uh, they, were, they were kind of a music duo, kind of a, a combo team, really great musicians. And, and I talked with them and counseled with them. We had such a good time talking and I was so honored to do their wedding. And it was just, it was a beautiful thing. And the, before I went to, to meet them on that last little session before the wedding, I was on my way to that meeting and the Holy Spirit just dropped a little nugget right in my heart to share with, with the groom. And honestly, I didn't want to share it because it was going to sound a little bit stark. It was going to sound a little bit harsh. And, and I kind of knew how it was going to come across. And he had grown up in church and he had gotten church hurt and, and had, had walked away from church and he had walked away from the things of God and just kind of put it all in one basket. Listen, let me just stop and say this. If you've been church hurt, and probably if you've attended church more than two weeks, you've got some church hurt. It wasn't Jesus that hurt you. It were people, it was people that have hurt you and offended you and disappointed you. And listen, if you put your trust and your faith in people, you will always, always be disappointed. Always. They can't measure up. Listen, Pastor Joe tries, I'll, I'll take your call. I'll do, I try to measure up. I can't ever do everything. Neither can anybody you've ever relied on. And so if you've got some church hurt, you need to surrender that to God in this brand new year. But he had, he'd been nursing this church hurt and he just kind of lumped it all into one basket. But for some reason, he liked me well enough. And that's cool. You know, I went in my ripped jeans and my tennis shoes when I went to meet with him, you know. I wanted to, I wanted to get some street cred with him, right? <laughs> and so I felt like I had earned the right to be able to share with him what I was about to say. And I looked right across the table to him after we had set up all the arrangements, we had done everything. And with the boldness of only the Holy Spirit can do, I looked at him and I looked him in the eye and I said, listen, you're amazingly talented. God has given you a gift. He's nodding his head. I mean, he kind of, yeah, I know that. Your, your music skills are off the chart. He's a music teacher to this day. And I looked at him and I said, but I want to tell you one thing. You will never, ever be totally and completely fulfilled with your music career until you surrender your gift to God who gave it to you in the first place. His eyes cast down at the table and for that two or three seconds, it felt like three minutes. I wasn't sure what he was gonna say in response. We'd get up and leave, storm away. I thought you were cool, but you're not kind of thing. But in that moment, I didn't care because I had discharged my function to give him a word in season. And now it was God's turn. And he looked up and with a little bit of a glaze in his eyes, he said, I know, you're right. That was satisfaction to my heart for that moment. But it was a word and season for him. And this is what the Holy Spirit will give us when we are baptized in water and baptized with the Holy Spirit. More than just trying on the outside to do something that might align with our agenda. We now get on God's agenda and we start walking as an apprentice, a disciple of Jesus doing what he does saying what he said, hearing what he is speaking to us. You know, God is speaking. God speaks to us today. Somebody say, I haven't heard from God. Well, in this year, if you read through the New Testament, I believe you'll hear from God every single day because he is speaking to us. It's amazing. 
I've read through the Bible, I don't, I don't know how many times. I'm not saying that to be proud. I, I, I have a regular routine I have for over 25 years of reading scripture every day. I don't read a whole bunch of it, maybe all the time, but there'll be seasons. But it's, it's amazing to me this. Every time I open the seals of this book, I may have read that passage five times before, something fresh and something new will jump out. Why? Because this book is not just black words on a white page, red letters, red letter edition. This word is living and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. This book is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And I don't know about you, but I need my heart to be read by God. I, I can put on for you. I can have all great intentions. I can hurt somebody and say, well, I didn't mean to, but you did. And that's what happens when God starts to move in our lives and God's word starts to read us. You think you're reading the word? No, the word is reading you. It's reading your mail. It's getting down to the crevices of your life. And the loving, gentle kindness of the Holy Ghost of God will take that surgical scalpel. A good surgeon doesn't just cut you down from the top of the bottom and rip you open and start operating. No, a good surgeon will make a small as possible incision to extract only that which needs to come out for this moment. And after the surgery is done, they take tender care to stitch it back up again, to mend the wound, to put salve over it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does as we read his word this year. You're going to feel the loving kindness of the great physician working in renovating your heart. He talks about this change that happens from the inside out, the renovation that is taking place, the transformation. The scripture tells us that in Christ, we are a new creation, that old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Somebody say, I'm new in Jesus. I'm new in Jesus. Verses nine through 14, let me just read a couple of them here. Back to the New King James, it says in verse nine, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The baptism of Jesus. Listen, Hear me, if you have not been water baptized, you need to be water baptized. If you are a believer in Jesus and you, say, you just put it off, you're not, you need to be baptized. It's important. It is identifying with the body of Christ. It is saying, I belong to that family, the family of God. It is not the, the washing away of the filthiness of the flesh, but it is showing a good conscience towards God. Even Jesus went to John to be baptized. Jesus is the only human who has ever not needed to be baptized, but was. Why did Jesus not need to be baptized? Because he knew no sin. He had no sin. There was no repentance or no, no confession that he had to make. There was nothing spiritually for him to be baptized with. But it is Jesus who set the mo model for us, that, that established the mode that we need to be baptized. And here's why Jesus did this. This is so wonderful. Jesus was baptized to identify with us. Jesus' baptism shows us that God was not so far removed. We sometimes pray that, and when we pray, we think of God as being far beyond the galaxy in the Milky Way. No, by, by Jesus coming to earth, what he's showing us is that the God who seems transcendent 
has come imminent. And Jesus was baptized as a way of saying, I can understand what you're going through. I can identify with you. I know what it's like to be human. And then this most important word and phrase was given right here at the onset of Jesus' baptism. These words were spoken by God the Father. It says, you're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's a whole sermon we could preach on that, but let me just point out a couple things. In this text, we see the Father speaking, the Spirit descending, and Jesus, the Son, being baptized. You see the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost right here in this text. The Trinity of God is all present right here at the baptism of Jesus. This is one of three times in the New Testament that we see that God the Father speaks from heaven. Now, I'm talking like an audible voice. Now, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I know people who have, but I have heard the Spirit of God speaking up on the inside of me, and you have too. You've gotten a premonition or a notion or maybe an urging or a, a drawing. That's, that's God's spirit. When you've thought of somebody three times before nine o'clock in the morning, send them a text message. Let them know that you're thinking of them. That's the, the spirit of God prompting you to pray for someone. I, I'm usually a very sound sleeper. I put my phone on do not disturb. So if you have an emergency overnight, leave me a message. I'll get to you in the morning. I take the passage of Jesus, you know, he, he was told that his best friend Lazarus was sick and he waited three days to come. So I figure if it works for Jesus, it can work for the pastor, right? No, we'll get to you when we can. But I'm usually a very sound sleeper. And for whatever reason, two times this past week, I was awoken at 4.11 and 4.01. I know because I rolled over to look at, at my watch to find out it was on my nightstand. What time is it? It was interesting. It was four o'clock. Wide awake. Couldn't sleep. And I know that that's not typical. That's not normal of my sleep patterns. So I had to think, okay, God, what are you up to other than just awakening me for, you know, this isn't some game. And there was a good friend of mine who was put on my heart, pastor friend of mine, to pray for. Now, I didn't stay up and labor in labor and prayer for an hour over him, but I prayed for him because I figured God knows and I prayed, God, whatever it is that he needs, I just pray you strengthen him, cover his family, cover his health, cover his church, whatever it is, I just pray for him. And I went back to sleep. The spirit of God gives us a nudge, a premonition, a knowing that we need to do something. We should respond to that. The sons and daughters of God can hear the voice of God. The scripture tells us that my sheep know my voice and another they will not follow. So if you have that urging, obey and walk through and see what God will do with that moment. And so these people heard the audible voice of God. I've not heard that, but there are three times that there was an audible voice from heaven heard, and this was one of them. The next one was at the transfiguration. The disciples heard the, the, the Father speak right there, and the next time was when Jesus predicted his own death, uh, the Passover week, right before a week before he was to go to the cross, he was telling them what was going to happen. And when the father spoke, they thought it was like thunder from heaven. They weren't very discerning about that voice. But this is very important because what it does is it validates and endorses what Jesus just did in the baptism and then what he's about to do in the wilderness. And we see immediately after this that he is driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. We'll pick up on that text in Luke when we get to the Gospel of Luke. We don't have time for that today. It's, it's only briefly mentioned in Mark. But here's what I want to say about that. It validated Jesus' identity at his baptism as the Son of the Father. 
Jesus was about 30 years old. And he started his earthly ministry after this moment. After this, this wilderness temptation for 40 days, he started his earthly ministry. And I believe that Jesus needed that validation from the Father, public validation, to understand and the world to see his true identity. I did an entire series last year on identity theft. And I'm not talking the kind that someone steals your credit card and charges up a bunch of charges on your financial account. I'm talking about the kind of identity theft that we as children of God live below our spiritual privilege that we don't recognize and understand that we don't have to go about this world like the other people in this world that have no hope and have no faith in God. And so there is this restoring of our identity that God wants to do as we immerse ourselves in relationship to him. But more than just spiritual identity, our entire world is dealing with an identity crisis. There are people who have an occupational identity crisis. They say that we're in the the midst of the great resignation. People are resigning their jobs at record pace. Why? Maybe because there's a better opportunity out there. Maybe because they've never, ever been settled in anything they've ever done. They simply have an ID crisis. They don't really know what it is that they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. And identity theft is one of the tricks that the enemy uses to get us to depart and to, to, to listen to other voices and draw us away from communion with the Father. There is also something that is insidious in our day and our age, and it's not new. It's been around for thousands of years, and that is sexual misidentity. People don't understand. They're confused. They don't know. And so there is this sense of, well, maybe I'll go with this relationship, or maybe I'll go with that relationship, or maybe I just, maybe I'm both relationships. There are all these identity crises that are happening in the hearts and the minds of people. And here's what I want to tell you about the gospel. The gospel will address every single one of them. The identity of a child of God is not bound up in our sexuality, our flesh and blood, how we act in this body. Our identity is given to us by God who created us male and female from the beginning and then said, it is good. It was a good creation. And so what you're going to find about Jesus in all of these identity matters is that he looks upon the need, he looks upon the confusion, and then he says, I'll walk that out with you. I'll help you alongside in your weakness, in your moments of infirmity, I will lift you and bear you up and we'll walk through that together. That's the grace and the love and the kindness that we find in Jesus. And this was a validation right here of his identity being the beloved son of his father in whom he was well-pleased. Listen, if you have never received the validation of your earthly father, if you never were grew, up, grew up in a family that really was affectionate or hugged or, or they didn't tell one another that they, they loved one another, or maybe it was a broken home situation that, that you just never quite knew if you were really at home, God, your heavenly father, wants to give you validation today. He wants to speak a word of grace and peace and love over you to say that you are accepted in the beloved, that having turned away from the weariness of your thoughts, he has a pathway for you. Look at verse 15. It says, uh, Hebrews 4, 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot be uh, sympathized with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. 
See that? That's Jesus. Jesus is our great high priest. And then it says we can go to the throne of grace with boldness to obtain mercy and help in our time of need. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It says, now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What was his message? It was the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Again, this inauguration of God's kingdom saying it's here, it's starting. God's kingdom has arrived. It arrived in Jesus. And it's not yet completely fulfilled and completely satisfied or consummated because we know Jesus is coming back. Somebody say, I know Jesus is coming back. Yeah, he came and he's coming again. But in between time, there is a gospel of the kingdom that we get to preach. And we get to experience the joys and the benefit of kingdom life in the here and now as kingdom citizens. There are privileges that you and I have as kingdom citizens. And I'll talk more about that as we get into this series. But what you're seeing through the book of Mark, all these miracles that Jesus does, these are just a glimpse of what it's like when someone is in the kingdom of heaven, when someone is walking through the kingdom righteousness of God. I'm going to close with this, Mark uh, 116. It says, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's also Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, listen to what Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Look at this next verse. Then immediately, without hesitation, without conversation, without figuring it out in their mind, immediately they left their net and they followed him. This is the beginning of Jesus calling his 12 disciples. And not just the 12, but you'll see that there are many, many more who were called. He had 70 apostles, and even more than that, 120 showed up in the upper room. So Jesus started this call, and first we see that it was Peter, in this text that was called, and his brother Andrew. In the next couple verses, you read on down, you can see that it's James and John were also called, and they left their father They had a a successful business going and they were probably in line to take over the business, but they left their family business all to follow Jesus. And here's what I want to say to you. We've all been called with a general call. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm a whosoever will, you're a whosoever will. Those people outside these walls are whosoever will. Everybody watching us on this On this online, they're whosoever will. We all are called generally. But Jesus called these by name, specifically. First it was Peter, then Andrew, his brother, and then James and John. But here's what we know about Peter, James, and John. Those three formed the inner circle, the closest network to Jesus. These were the ones that were always taken aside and explained what the parables meant. When the, when the crowd only heard what the general parable was, these three were given insider knowledge, you could say. They were the closest companions in Jesus' three and a half earthly years of ministry. But Andrew wasn't. Andrew was the second one to say, yes, I'll sign up for that task. Yes, I'll follow you, Jesus. But Andrew wasn't in the inner circle. 
I remember receiving the call of God on my life when I was 15 years old. God radically transformed my heart, changed me from the inside out. I gave my heart and my life to Jesus. I said, I'll serve you. I'll walk with you. I'll do anything you ask me to do. And about a year later, I felt the call on my life to preach. And I just, I was scared. I didn't think that I could do it. I knew I didn't have the background for it. Nobody in my family had ever been preachers. I, I argued with God. I didn't want to do it. And yet, as I took one more step of obedience, after another step of obedience, after another step, I found myself at 18 years old, going from church to church when I would be asked to speak in some of the churches that I went to, it may have been me and Holly and three other people, and I preached. And then the next church, there might be 20 people there, and there might be 30. But I can say this about all of those pastors. They were all faithful to Jesus. They were all doing the work, and they were called by his name to do something. Now, as I look back on those years, I could look back with some pride and say, well, I'm preaching to more than three now. I'm preaching to more than 20 now. Look where God has, has brought me now. And there could be a pride that could creep in. But here's what I also know. There are some guys that I went to Bible college with whose churches are 25 times larger than my church. And you know what? I rejoice at that. I thank God for that. Because you may be an Andrew, but be faithful. Be faithful for the calling of God on your life. Not everybody's going to be a Peter, James, and John. Not everybody's going to be in that inner circle that gets all of the highlight and all of the fame. Listen, this kingdom isn't about fame. This thing isn't about your name being in lights. This thing isn't about who gets on the stage and who's not on the stage. Some of the most faithful Christians that I know have never mounted a stage or taken up a microphone. And yet they're walking day by day as a mere stagehand, a setup person, doing the behind the scenes work, being an Andrew. I don't know what God called you to do, but I believe that there's a whole lot more Andrews in the kingdom than there are the apostle Peters in the kingdom. And it takes every single person doing what only they can do to make the body function. You have a place in this kingdom. You have a calling from God. You might be watching online, but you have a calling from God in your life and he wants to take what little you have and he wants to transform it into something great for his kingdom. And your may, name may never be great. You may not be known by people, but you can be known in the halls of heaven for saying, I will go for you. Send me, Lord. I'll go. With heads bowed and no one looking around before you and God today, I just wonder, is there anyone in this place watching online here in person that would simply say, I wanna say yes to Jesus. I want to say yes to that calling. You would lift your hand up and take it right back down. This is between you and God. Come on, all over the place. One, two, three, four, five, six. Thank God, thank God for you. Take your hand down. Here's what I wanna do. Everyone who will, I want you to say this prayer after me. You might say, but Joe, I've prayed that prayer a hundred times. That's okay. Pray it again. God likes to hear from you, all right? Pray this with me. Dear God, I come to you today just like I am. I have tried on my own. I can't fix my life on my own. So I repent. I repent of my sin, my missing of the mark. I give my life to you today, God. I say yes to Jesus. I say yes to the calling of God to my life and I will serve you 
as you show me how. In Jesus' name, amen.